and turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We have considered at length the reason for John's writing, and he makes that evident in verse 13. He's writing that we would know, that we would have confidence that we have eternal life. John is a man who loves the body of Christ well. He loves the saints that he knows immediately will receive this letter, but he also loves those who Christ will add to the body through the Spirit throughout the ages. And John knows that the world is a difficult place and that the world lies in the power of the evil one. And so he is writing here that the saints would have confidence in a world that is full of trouble. And he adds kind of a parenthetical P.S. in verses 14 and 15. And what this shows is that John is not writing for form. He's not writing so that people will think he's poetic or eloquent. He's writing because he loves the saints and he wants to give them the truth. John is anxious. He is burdened that the people of God would not be robbed of the certainty of knowing that they belong to God, and further, that they would know that they can always, in a world that lies in the power of the evil one, come before the throne of grace in their time of difficulty. And so he writes what he does here. If you would do honor to the reading of God's Word and stand with that in mind, as we begin in chapter 5, verse 13. John, writing here under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God, writes, I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sin that is not does not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who, has, who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. This is the Word of God to you and I today, beloved. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come into Your presence as beggars of grace, knowing that we have no ability to stand and in Your presence apart from Your grace. Father, we have so devalued the graces that You've bestowed and we've looked at the things of the world and longed for them. Would You forgive us and remind us here today of the great inheritance that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. John, in this verse, is laying down um, the reality of how we can act in light of all that he's told us in these five chapters. John is coming and he's told us that we can know, that we can have confidence of our salvation if we love the brethren, if we love God, if we love the truth, and if we guard the commandments of God. And having that confidence then, he goes on 
to tell us that we also can have confidence in what we do and, and what should we do. And the answer to that is, well, we should, we should pray. And what John wants for us is to know that we can pray with absolute confidence. And that's what he's writing about here in verses 14 and 15. Prayer is vital. And confident prayer is a gift that God gives to the saints alone. You'll remember this narrative in Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith in the earth? What matters at the coming of the Lord is the question of that particular narrative. Is it the classes that we have taught? Is it the sermons we have preached? Is it the missions trips that we've gone on, the money we've given, the work we've done? And the answer is no. It is whether or not at the coming of the Son of Man will there be found faith on the earth. Will God, at His coming, find us on our knees, confidently praying for things that would bring Him glory? Friends, I don't think there's a topic. What? Am I not on? Well, I'm loud. I'm out of battery. Do you have batteries? How about now? Yay. Other than keeping batteries in my mic pack, I don't think there's a topic more neglected than the topic of prayer. We can never overestimate the importance of prayer in the life of the saints. We all know that in one form or another, we have neglected this great gift and practice of prayer. And then, of course, we have the difficulty of our doctrinal understanding of prayer. Some say, well, God is sovereign, and we know that He ordains all things from the beginning, and that all things that come to pass are ultimately in His will, and so we have no need to pray. And then, of course, there are the other side of that coin, those who promote a kind of name-it-and-claim-it version of doctrine towards prayer. They say that we can demand whatever we want, and God is beholden if we have enough faith to give us those things. And so the question is, in the light of so many different varying ideas that are erroneous about prayer, what do we do? 
Well, we do what we always do. We look to the Word of God. We compare Scripture with Scripture. We, we take verse 15 in context of the rest of the Bible. You see, we could read verse 15. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. We could read that in a prosperity-esque type way. And we could say, well, if, if God hears my prayers because I'm in Christ, then whatever I pray for, He is required to give me. But that's not at all what this verse teaches, of course, in context. And so the question is, where do we start? And friends, the place that we have to start in dealing with prayer is to acknowledge this. That there is a great mystery in the, our understanding of the doctrine and the practice and the reality of prayer. Mystery, uh, mysteries are those things that are not beyond the truth, but are beyond our full understanding. And friends, I don't know if you're like me, but I thank God that, that our Bible brings us low and teaches us that we can honor God by trusting what His Word clearly teaches us even when it doesn't connect completely in our brains. We can hold on to the mysteries of God's Word and trust in them even if we cannot fully understand them. I'm thankful today that, I can, that though I can't understand why God would pardon even one sinner, I believe that He does. I can't understand why God would give His Son for the likes of me, but yet I know that that is true. I can't understand why God would impute, not only forgive me, but impute His righteousness to my account. And yet I trust that at this very moment, for you and I who are in Christ, that is true. We can praise God for the mysteries of the Bible. And so we can know that God is absolutely sovereign. Do you remember what Job says in Job chapter uh, 42, verse 2? He says, I know, this is answering to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Our God is absolutely sovereign and everything that happens in this life happens because of the decrees of God. God determined it before the foundation of the world. We can stand on that truth. We can also see the reality that there is an imperative to pray all throughout Scripture. There will be those who then stand and say, well, those two things don't seem to fit. And what happens in the minds of those people is when they can't understand either one or the other, they will delude the doctrines on either side. Well, we don't need to pray as much because God is sovereign. Or we should be able to pray for whatever we want. Or they marginalize the doctrine of God's sovereignty altogether. Friends, the greatest problem that we face when we come to issues like this is when we say, well, we can't understand those things. We just need to say yes and amen to that and hold on to what we do know. But instead, far too often, the, the pressing problem is this. We don't begin to understand all of the things we don't understand. We come to the Word of God and say, I will believe when I understand it completely. But the fact is, there's so many things in the Word of God that, that really elude our complete understanding. I mean, what do you do if, if you can't... 
If you can't fathom that God is in control of all things, and yet he asks us to pray that he has ordained the ends before the beginning, and yet he says we should cry out to him day and night in prayer, what then do you do when you find the Son of God in the Garden of Gethsemane praying for his elect? Because there is the one who quiets the waters. There's the one who heals the sick and restores sight to the blind, and yet we find him on his knees. We find him praying. Now, is is he praying because in his person and in his ability, somehow he uh, he, uh, um, lacks the ability to see something come to fruition that he is praying for? And the answer to that, of course, is not at all. Jesus could have merely given the command and anything that He wanted would have happened. But what we see in the reality of Christ's prayer is that although His Father is sovereign and although He is, he is the Son of God and, and part of the triune Godhead, He is communing, fellowshipping with, the, with, with God the Father in such a way that the will of God would come to fruition. Now, if anyone can explain that away in, in a fashion where... well. We all understand I will resign the pulpit to you. You see, we see in the lives of some of the greatest saints, the greatest Christians, an affinity for the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the absolute authority for God to decree what comes to pass before the ages, and yet at the same time we find those men and women on their knees being people of prayer. And in this... There is a mystery. And so we have to start there. We have to acknowledge that these things are mysterious, and yet there are some, there is some way to understand these things. The God, friends, who determines, if we still have this question in our minds, if God determines everything that comes to pass from the beginning, then why is it that He asks us to pray? That's the question I hear more often than anything else. If God truly is sovereign, if God not only knows the ends from the beginnings, but has determined them, then how in the world is it that we find a God who has, who has called us to pray? Well, the answer to that is simply this. The God who is sovereign, who determines the ends for which He created the earth, also determines the means by which He accomplishes redemption. God not only determines the ends from the beginning, but He calls us in to fellowship with Him and He says, now your prayers are going to be part of what I use to bring about my perfect purpose. I am going to use what you pray as part of my will. You see, here's the problem. When someone comes and says, well, if God is sovereign... And yet He calls us to pray. How is it that He's really sovereign? What they're doing in the moment that they ask that question is they are dividing their prayer from God's sovereignty. They're saying my prayers are outside of the sovereignty of God. And that is not true. Our prayer is actually a sovereign work of Almighty God. Is there anyone here today who would stand and say, you know what, Jay, left to myself, left to my own ability and my own person, I would pray the most eloquent prayers. I would know what I need to pray in every moment. I would pray in a way that that the entire nation would come to repentance. Friends, the reality is none of us know how we ought to pray. 
And it is only by the sovereign spirit of Almighty God that we get to a point of even acknowledging God in prayer. So do not divide the prayers of the saints from the sovereignty of God. That is a great error against God Himself because He is the one working in us to bring about everything that comes to pass. And He does it through prayer. Think of what Paul is saying when he writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. He says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed. Paul says there, I know that it is through your prayers and that those prayers ultimately come because of the work of God. Friends, the reality is this. God could have ordered the universe any way that He wanted to. There are, scientists can point to them, the reality of the laws of nature, a a way that God has uh, orchestrated everything that works in this life. And, And God could have given different laws of nature or order, uh, uh, worked above uh, the creation in a way apart from those laws, but He chose to work through them. And in like fashion, God could have chosen to work in His church apart from prayer, but what we find is a sovereign God who has drawn us in and who has called us to pray. And so the question is this, how do we pray under His sovereign rule with great joy. And I want to give you three things quickly. One, we must know that we belong to Him. If we don't have confidence that we belong to Christ, we will not have confidence before Christ in prayer. That's what John is saying in verse 13. I want you to know that you belong to Him so that you will be confident as you pray. And ultimately, he's saying this knowing that this aims at the reality that if we have no confidence that we belong to Him, we will have no confidence that He actually hears our prayer. And verse 14 is really what, he, what that says, that he has to, um, that we have to hear, excuse me, we have to know that we belong to Him if our prayers are going to be heard. Verse 14 tells us that it's it's the saints of God who have the ear of God. When I allow my children to pray with other kids in the neighborhood, there is this reality that I hear all of the children in the neighborhood. But if one of my kids cry out as they are playing, I hear that child in a way that is unique. I have a special ear for my children. And so what John is telling us in verse 13 that we should come to know that we belong to Him is that it's only then that we will have trust that our Heavenly Father actually hears our prayer in a very unique and specific way. And I think it's in light of this that we then find the writer of Hebrews telling us to draw near to Christ in prayer because it is ultimately through our being in Christ that we have access and confidence, boldness in prayer. Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, 
through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. We must go with boldness before the throne only when we know that we belong to Him, that we are in Him. All of this, these tests for whether or not we are in the faith loving God and loving the truth and loving the brethren and guarding the commandments, all of those push us in the direction of praying, of knowing that ultimately God hears us because He has saved us. So one, we must know that we belong to Him. Secondly, we must know that our prayers are accepted before God. And, and the question that's going to come is, well, how do we know? What are the conditions that must be met for our prayers to be acceptable to God? I'm going to give you four things quickly. Note takers, just write the, the verses out in the margins. Don't try and keep up with me. One, our motive must be correct as we come before the throne of God. Far too often, we come and we ask for God for things. It's absolutely ridiculous when men get on national television, on the cable news networks, and they pray that God would, would send them donors so that they could have a private jet. That is, an, that is on its face sinful against the Word of God and the purpose of God. Those motives are, are selfish. And that's what James really points at in James chapter 4 when he says in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. What James is saying is, look, you're complaining because your, your prayers aren't being heard. Friend, the, the reason your prayer isn't being heard is because you come before the throne of grace to waste your prayer on your own passions. And those passions are disordered. God has no responsibility to, to honor your prayer in light of your wrong motives. We must then, friends, always keep in mind as we go before the throne of grace that we put the glory of God at the center of our prayers. Remember when Jesus prayed? He prayed, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. God, might You be glorified. That, that was leading the train for Him. And there's so much more that I could say here. But, but at the basis, our motive for prayer must be the overwhelming reality of the glory of God. We must ask ourselves, why am I praying? Uh, why am I coming before His throne? What is it that I really want? Is it for Him to be magnified? Or is it merely that I would have a life ordered the way that I want it? Secondly, not only must our motive be correct, we must also believe. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus says, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if, conditional, you have faith. Or James chapter 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We must not only come with the right motive, but we must come trusting that God can do the thing that we are praying that He would do. Third, we must abide in Christ and obey His commandments. 1 John chapter 3, verses, verse 22 
Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. If we go before God in prayer seeking to break the commandments of God and do whatever brings us the most satisfaction, then God has no reason to hear us. It is when we are aiming at glorifying God as our motive and believing that God can continue to keep us in a place where we obey His commands that He will hear our prayer. Again, Jesus praying in Matthew chapter 6, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So not only must our motives be right and must we believe and obey His commandments, but fourth, we must pray in the name of Christ. John chapter 14. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Friends, it is only through the blood of Christ that we have access to the throne room of God. It is only coming by that precious name that we can come and experience the kindness and the grace of being able to pour our hearts out before the Lord. It is only through our Advocate that we can level our petitions before a sovereign God. So the motive must be correct. We must pray in faith, abide in Christ, and pray in Christ's name. Only then will our prayer be acceptable. So, we must know that we belong to Him. Secondly, we must know that our prayers are accepted. And that comes as we do those things there that I've just mentioned, that they meet those qualifications. But we must also then go on what this verse teaches, verse 15, to have confidence that our prayer will be answered if we have observed every, all of those, those biblical conditions. We must be people who know we belong to God, who know that our prayers are heard by God, that they are accepted, and who trust this prayer will come to pass. Now immediately when I say that, somebody's going to say, Jay, are you preaching a name it and claim it view of prayer? And the answer to that is no. But we can't get away from what verse 15 teaches. L- look at verse 15 with me. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. does not say that uh, we will have them. It says that we can act as though we already have them. That they are done. Now, there's a wrong way to hear this. You attempt to pray in the charismatic sense Praying that you convince yourself that you already have this thing, although it is not in front of you, but it already is yours. And what ends up in that charismatic system is you're really not praying to God, you're praying to yourself. You're trying to work yourself into a belief that you already have what it is you're praying for. You're you're claiming something for yourself. And and, and ultimately, as we walk through all of the conditions of prayer, we know that, that often those prayers are centered around earthly things. That's the wrong way to, to hear this. I, I think, let's step back from verse 15 and look at Mark eleven twenty four, which says something similar. Therefore, I tell you, 
Whatever you ask in prayer, believe it, that you have received it, and it will be yours. Again, a verse that is misconstrued by the charismatic movement. But I think, beloved, what we have to do is we have to take Mark chapter 11 and 1 John chapter 5, and we have to digest those verses in light of Romans 8, 26 and 27, which read thus. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what, it, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, and this is important, according to the will of God. Friends, again, we don't begin to understand all of the things we don't understand. Because part of what we don't understand is what to even pray for. Have you not found yourself in positions and times throughout your life where you're so perplexed by the circumstances that you face that you just, I don't even know what to pray for in this moment. You get a phone call that a loved one's in the hospital or that a marriage is crumbling or that a job is not there or that the finances won't hold and you don't know what it is that you should pray for in those moments. And so the question is, in light of not knowing, what does Paul say, according to the Holy Spirit, happens? And the answer to that, in light of Romans chapter 8, verse 26, is that the Spirit intercedes. He gives us a sigh, a groaning that is too deep for words. And that groaning is according to the will of God. In moments where we don't know what to pray, God shows up and He gives us those groanings, but those things don't lead us away from the will of God. They lead us in the will of God. Isn't it amazing how our God meets us in, in all of our brokenness? In all of our inability, God leads us to pray according to the will of God. So the right way to understand, my argument would be, to understand Mark chapter 11 is to understand it in light of what Romans Eight means, and it means that if I am prompted to pray by the Spirit of God, and I know that that prompting is according to the will of God, then my prayer will come to pass. It, Jesus is saying, if you pray for things according to my will and for my glory, then those things are the things that you can mark down you already have. If it is my will that they would happen and it's for my glory and that is what is really your heart's desire and prayer, I promise you that will come to fruition. Well, you can't go before the Lord and say, God, for your glory and according to your will, I pray for a Ferrari. Might you be glorified in that thing? But, but I think far too often that's how we approach prayer. But, but it's amazing here. That ultimately, we see that the source of prayer in Romans chapter 8 is not different from the source of prayer in 1 John chapter 5 or Mark chapter 11. And that is that prayer is ultimately found in the working of Almighty God. The, the outcome of the prayer is sure because the one who is stirring us up to pray in the first place is God Himself. 
And the confidence that we should have is if we know that the aim of our prayer is the glory of God and His will, and He is the one stirring that prayer in our heart anyway, then we can have confidence that He is the one who will bring it to pass. Our sinful nature and our flesh may lead us to pray before the throne of majesty, and this shows the utter depravity of man, may lead us to pray for things that are carnal and fleshly, but I promise you this, the Spirit of God has never led any person to pray for something apart from the will of God. When a loved one is ill, when you don't know what to pray, friends, I I want you to lean into this reality. You can pray in those moments if it's just a whisper, God be glorified in this. I don't know what you're doing in this circumstance, but I do know you are the sovereign God who can receive from this circumstance glory. So do that. And in that prayer, we can be confident that one way or another, God will ultimately do that. God will answer. You know, I think if we pray according to the Word of God, then it will ultimately be according to the will of God because it is the Spirit of God who has authored the Word. Friends, I don't know about you, but just praying through 1 John has been humbling for me. Because these these four categories that he continues to come back to, loving God, loving our church, valuing the truth, guarding the commandments of God, can any of us say, man, we've licked all of those categories? I can't. I don't love God the way that I should all the time. I don't love the church the way that I ought. I don't value the truth the way that I should often. I don't guard His commandments well at times. And ultimately, in periods of life for every Christian, that means we will come to a place where we start to lack assurance. And the question then, in those moments when we lack assurance and we don't know what God is doing, what does John tell us we should do? He says we should pray. He says pray then. Pray that you would love God, that you would love His church, that you would value the truth, and that you would keep His commandments. You you should be a person who comes and says, God, give me a heart for the things that that you want in my life, that you would receive glory. And ultimately, what's amazing is that as God begins to answer your prayer for those things, He will also throw in with that a confidence that you belong to Him. If you will pray according to the will of God and the Word of God for the things that God has said He wants in your life, you can trust that He will do them. That He will bring them to pass. Again, friends, I think if nothing else you hear this morning, hear this. We must not see our prayer apart from the sovereignty of God, but as something that is only a reality under the influence of the Spirit of God. Uh, We must see our prayer as a manifestation of the work of God in our lives. I think about what, John, or what Paul rather writes to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now I may not be able to pray that God would give Brian a Ferrari and have confidence about it. I may not be able to pray that all of our mortgages are paid off when we get our next statement and have confidence that will come to pass. But I can pray with all certainty. 
God, sanctify your people in your truth. And I know that will come to pass. Because our sovereign God has not only elected His children to salvation from the foundation of the world, He has promised that He will justify them. He has promised He will sanctify them. And praise God, one day He will glorify them. And so if I pray according to His will for His glory in the lives of His saints, I know that ultimately it will come to pass. Friends, what do you do in the life of a church member when you see that they are maybe sinning and struggling in life? Do you kind of roll your eyes and say, gosh, I wish that person would just get their life together. I wish that pastor would learn to pray or preach a little bit shorter sermons. I I wish that these individuals would be more spiritually uh, mature and then grouse about it. Friends, the best thing you can do is pray. And when you see something wrong in the life of another saint, you can take that particular thing to God and know and trust with all confidence that God will work in that individual's life in His own timing, in His own way, and for His own glory. And that's really, I think, what John is saying here in verse 15. We know that He hears us in whatever we ask. That whatever we ask is not disconnected from the will of God in the Word of God. It is linked to everything that John has been saying to this point. He's saying that we know that He hears us whenever we ask for loving God more. He hears us whenever we ask that we would love the church in greater sincerity. He hears us whenever we ask to love the truth more or to guard His commandments more. And we know that we have those requests that we ask of Him. We know that He is faithful to do those things in our lives. Friends, that one of the things that is marvelous about the Word of God is that as we find the saints, as we find the apostles and the prophets and all who have authored the, the Word, as we find them praying, we find them praying in unison. And do you know why? Why is it that we find a whole variety of people over thousands of years praying to the same end? Because they are praying under the compulsion of the same Spirit. Because it is the sovereign God stirring those prayers in their hearts. And when we come here and we find this reality of Paul saying, this is the will of God for you. This is what I've prayed for. I've prayed not for easiness in your life, but I've prayed that God would sanctify you. And we find here John saying, love God, love the church, love the truth, love and guard the commandments of God. Pray and know He will do that. When we find John saying that, then it shouldn't amaze us when we come to Psalm 51 and we find David there in the lowliest moment of his life praying Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The saints of God pray in unison because they are really compelled to pray by the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but I think far too often we think of prayer in a trivial way. We pray for things in the lives of others and because we don't immediately see the consequence and our God works out the fruit of our prayer over lifetime and we, friends, don't get to live under the shade of the fruit of all that we pray for. 
There are things that we will pray for in this church today that if the Lord tarries, I believe that will come to pass 100 years from now. Or 150 years from now. I, I think about people that have prayed for me in my lifetime. I think about a, a woman named Lorena C. who um, taught Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church in Fayette, Missouri in the early 90s. And I know that she prayed for my soul. I know that she prayed, God, would you open this young man's life? Would you, would you impress your gospel upon these children that I'm going to minister to? And she was just praying. This is part of what you do when you teach Vacation Bible School or when you teach a Sunday school lesson or when you preach. You go before God and you ask that He would use that. I think about my grandparents. I, I think about my wife and her prayers for me. And friends, this side of heaven, I'll never understand the full impact of those prayers. But when they are given in the right motive for the glory of God, seeking to ultimately bring all uh, to pass that God would have come to pass, then, then ultimately those individuals praying that God's work would come to pass, it ultimately does come to pass under the sovereignty of God. You know, here's the thing. I, saying that I think about all these people that have prayed for me, this is what I know. When I think about grandparents and Sunday school teachers and pastors and my spouse who have so impacted my life through prayer, I know this. My one contribution to that is the groanings part. I've given them much reason to go, oh. Lord, help this idiot. Lana Tinney's not here to hear that this morning, but that's, that's if, if, if we held to patron saints the way the Catholic Church does, Lana would be the patron saint of the prayer for all the idiots. I know that I contribute a lot of reason for groaning, but what is miraculous is this, that in my life, God has stirred men and women to pray for me. And He's not stirred them to pray that I would have an easy life or the car I want to drive or that I wouldn't experience difficulty in health or, or that I wouldn't experience times uh, of, of difficulty in a thousand ways. Uh, what He stirs them to pray for is that I would be sanctified with all of the saints. And when Jesus says you ask for those things under the compulsion of the Spirit, mark it down. I'll do it. We can rest in that church. And that shouldn't bring us to a point going, well, God ultimately is the one responsible for stirring me in prayer, so if He doesn't stir well, I'm not going to pray. No, that's stupid. That should bring us to a point of going, oh my word, prayer is under the authority, the sovereign plan of God. I want to pray more. I want to commune with God. I want to beg before the throne that our church would be full, not for the glory of the pastor or the sake of the coffers, but for Christ's namesake. Amen. I want all of the saints to see the wonder of the majesty of Christ. You know what has brought me to tears more than anything else as a brother, as a father, as a member of Life Point Baptist Church, it's this. That in this life we see dimly. We don't see the majesty of Christ the way we ought to. We live sinfully towards one another because we don't value the Gospel the way that we should. 
And you know what the response, the, the way out of that is? It's not by me trying to convince myself I can preach this perfect sermon that would change all of us. It's by going before the throne of grace, knowing that my Father in heaven has the plan of redemption worked out, and that if I will pray according to His will for His glory, for the good of His saints, He'll bring it all to pass. Would you pray with me now? Father God, we are beggars. We misuse prayer. We misunderstand prayer. We don't pray often enough. And all of that is our sin. But Father, we come this morning thankful that You've given us a heart to call out to You. God, would You stir in us sanctification? Would You make us like Jesus? For all of my brothers and sisters who are here in this room, Father, would You do whatever You have to do in their lives to make them love You and serve You and promote the Gospel and bring glory to Your name? Father, for those who are either in this room or who will hear this, uh, who, who don't know You, would You do what only You can do and remove the scales of their eyes that, that, that ultimately blind them from seeing the goodness of Christ in the Gospel? Uh, would You remove the veil that lies over their dead stony heart, give them a heart of flesh that they would run to You in repentance and faith? Father, we come before You this morning not only asking those things, but giving you thanks and praise, knowing that all of the prayers of our parents or our Sunday school teacher, our pastor, our friend, our spouse, those prayers that you have sovereignly used in our lives, Father, help us not to believe that the root cause of those prayers lie in the hearts of men. It lies ultimately in your sovereign working. And so we thank you for stirring the saints in prayer. And we ask that you would send your spirit in a way that you would continually stir us as a church to be people of prayer, depending totally on you to bring about all of your decrees for your glory. In Christ's name.